Hey, this is Tim Hunzey, partner of Parallel Music Publishing and board member of the Nashville Association of Independent Music Publishers. Thanks for listening to the Nashville Pubcast. This episode of Nashville Pubcast, we're chatting with Pat Higdon, Patrick Joseph Music, and Travis Myatt, creative director at Parallel Music Publishing. We're talking about the sport of pitching songs and how the game remains the same, but yet the rules keep changing. I think this is going to be a great conversation of really looking at for fun, just looking back and looking forward and looking at now and, and how, as I, uh, I mentioned a little earlier off record here, that, that I think it's the game really hasn't changed, but man, the rules do and the players do. And, and the town's obviously uh, transitioning a little bit, even just geographically um, a, a lot. So it would be interesting, man, that... So Pat, when you first started coming to town, and it's probably stayed that way for a bit. Like the technologies in the, in the industry was kind of the same. Although you mentioned, like, what years was it when all the mergers started happening? Because I believe that was the biggest first transition. The first mergers I remember were, as I said, about nineteen, maybe eighty three, eighty four, somewhere in there, were the first time I remember the companies folding together, and and um, there may have been others before that but that was where i really first started noticing it changed the culture and the climate a little bit as a whole as you touched on it in your bio but were the companies even the majors relatively small before the mergers started happening they were i mean you know uh i mean at the point in time when i was working at mca music the 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 corporate companies were screen gyms they were um mca there was chapel there was Warner Brothers Music. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there were maybe a few others. Pier was here. But most of those companies were pretty small operations. They weren't very big as far as number of employees, nor were they very big as far as number of riders. And they were, were you know, pretty much, you know, rider-friendly shops. They weren't really built around big business or anything like that. They were really very rider-friendly shops. In that day, what was like a typical day like? How much, you know, what did you spend your days doing? And I know that, I'll jokingly say, I know I, there was still, everything was real time, which for you kids out there that don't understand, like anytime you made copies, everything was in real time. If you played a song, you had to master up your reel-to-reel stuff. It took a lot longer to do meetings than it does. You well, got through fewer songs. I tell you, the the uh, the funny thing about my beginning, I mean, when I was at my first job at Cedarwood, we were pitching songs from reel to reel copies, but we also had a dub cutter. I was cutting dubs that were just acetates. You might, you might have to explain that. I don't think anybody do you, acetates were, that out there. You know what a dub is? No, yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was like a a seventy eight record or a forty five record. It was a small disc like that with vinyl on it, and you'd have we have a. A, a lathe that you'd cut those dubs with and you'd go to people's offices and play them a record it would play about three or four times and then it was no good anymore wow <laughs> but we would do that sometimes just depending on you know it's kind of like you know the same thing as n- now you know sending sending scott Hendricks an mp3 or mp3 where he's gonna not listen or giving him a, a cd where he says he's gonna listen in his car on the way home whether he still does that or not i don't know but that's sort of the same thing we had some producers that would had a reel-to-reel player in their office and some that didn't just had a turntable in their office and you had to kind of cater to that and, you know 
<laughs> yeah, I remember. Technology's at the era. I came at the tail end of the reel-to-reels and transferring those. It was all it was going DAT and cassette, man. You know, some guys wanted to play on DAT because it sounded so much better. And I honestly feel like I came in at the tail end of CDs, really. Ooh. I mean, being at Sony, we, we we would burn a lot when I when I first got there, and then by the time I was leaving, I mean, it, it was it was all changing. Nobody really wanted the CD anymore. Just for uh, trying to think back. When did you see the advent change quickly? It went from the reel-to-reels to the dats to the cassettes and then almost CD to hard drive. Like, man, that just seemed like That it sounds was... about right. That sounds about right. I remember, uh, golly, I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to put a, a, a mental flag out here and trying to remember when the, what years things happened. But I remember having to, having to transfer things from you know cassette and reel to reel to to cd you know and we had and that had to be in the 90s yeah you know about 90 something it took a long and dad time too to i mean we we're transferring all, all of those things you know oh yeah just i just remember having any time sessions came in everything was in real time so you had to listen to everything in real time you couldn't cut it off and even when people were listening to your cassettes you brought over they had the high speed like mm-hmm. scrub through it and the, it, so the, the pitch meetings were a lot different pace. The worst thing I think back in those days and was when you had I mean if you had a producer or an artist in your office you had two reel to reels and you you had to be threading the next song while this one was playing and kind of waiting to figure out if they liked it or not and if they didn't like it you were trying to spin this one quick enough that you didn't lose your pace. <laughs> you know, you didn't lose your flow with people and you'd say make up some story to fill the gap of time but it was it was a little more you know loosey-goosey because you couldn't just go to the next song you did have to be a little more of a per- people person to yeah. entertain while you while you pitched your tunes back in the and even when i came in i remember like there's gaps in time so you had to feel them or sit there very awkwardly staring at one another Back in the and when you were starting out as a plugger, how did you think meetings? Who did you typically meet with? I assume kind of the same beverage well, of people. My first my first contacts with uh, as a plugger when I first started were with producers that I developed a relationship with when I was an engineer in the studio. But after a while, it got you know where they developed a little bit of comfort with me bringing them songs and stuff. They were setting up appointments with me to play songs for their artist and sometimes they were there sometimes they weren't um and you know i developed some artist contacts as i'm sure all of the pluggers of that day did where we regularly went and played those artist songs i mean i played songs for kenny rogers i played songs for conway twitty reba mcintyre brooks and dunn uh golly i can't remember i mean new acts like lyle lovett and and Nancy Griffin, um, you know, played played for Winona. 
and the Judds. I mean, played songs for a lot of people, you know, that that were just kind of interested in hearing songs and and were available to hear songs and and actually made that one of their, if not the their priority, their main priority, made that a priority in the, in their pursuit for a hit. So jumping forward, Trav, what? Who do you play most of your songs for today in today's market? Oh, my dog. Uh, no, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, no. Uh, there, uh, it's so much different now for for so many reasons. Um, uh, man, so we we don't have nearly as many meetings now, and um, when you do go in to a meeting it's almost more beneficial for you to to go into it with the mindset of because every time it seems like you get like a really great song or something like that it's tied up somehow like it's it's on hold for somebody else already or it's already written with another artist so you don't know how it is and so uh oftentimes you you your your hands are kind of tied on your best stuff but your your writers will also have a much better chance of getting a cut i think if you can get them in the room with the artist because everybody kind of wants to to write it now and so going into a pitch meeting i i would almost prefer to say okay look i've got these really great songs that maybe i can't let go right now i still want to play them for you but i want to show you what our writers can do and let's try and get my guy with your artist and and see if we can kind of leverage it that way because otherwise you know going in and, and playing a song that you know because because when you have the song you often you'll know i mean you'll know you have the song and you go in and it's and it's it flows a lot easier but playing songs that are you're like oh it's almost there it's kind of there it's that does nothing for me and i don't think it does anything for the a and r or whoever's listening so um so you use it more as like a, a promotional tool for your for your writers as opposed to necessarily pitching a song you're pitching your writer yeah and and you know and i'll still maybe get one or two great songs to, to pitch by the end of it but i'm i am often using it as a promotional tool to to kind of pump our guys up make sure everybody's aware of what they can write and and yeah just kind of creating scenarios for them to be successful I think in some ways we always did the, sort of a similar thing to that. I mean, I mean, I always did. Anyhow, whenever I was playing a song for anybody, whether it were Alabama or whoever, I was always telling them a little bit about the writers. You know, I was always promoting the writers. So if the song didn't hit them, there was always the chance that they liked the writer enough from hearing what they heard, you know, to – to ask for more songs from that writer. So I had sort of an open door. Because I know you get holds, Trav, and you talked about more of promoting. So how do you do you, do you you take less meetings? Do you pitch songs? I mean, I know you get activity because I'm your publisher. And that's yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do. I still, I, I think the best way to play songs is in front of people. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of emailing out songs, uh, especially if they're new. If, if, if there's like... Uh, if I get a chance to sit down and go through some songs that I've had for a while and I go, Oh, well, you know, that could work for here, you know, and, and get in a creative mood, then I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But if I have something new and I, and I think that it can work, I I have to get in front of the person because I, I mean, I've heard people tell me, 
often you know it, oh the song sells itself it's about the song and it's like well not all the time i mean you're it's almost like selling a car sometimes and these people are coming on the lot and you have to convince them why they're going to leave the lot with this car today and, there you go that's a salesman i like yeah that's yeah. It. That's, <laughs> i think that's the i think that's the the one thing people forget sometimes when they when they start you know working songs to people is that they do have to be somewhat of a salesman as you say you know they can't just let the let the fruit sort of present itself you have to no you have to have this song it's the best song you've ever heard for your artist at this moment and you need it well and i think the other thing people are always have been looking for when when you do that is they're looking for your belief and your enthusiasm you know to sort of convince them that there's something of substance in that song the business kind of operates all the way around in that way if they 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 have to see belief somewhere and it just kind of snowballs i guess do you find that you have time to sit and develop writers like you did at that time or you just go keep pitching songs and until they write enough songs it becomes a better craft i think it's a i think it's both i think it's both i mean you know i, I mean i think i'm with with i have four writers that i'm working with that, that are signed to me and i think two of them are writers still in development even though they're having some some success and the other two are writers who've had hits and you know i expect them to have more hits you know um but it, i think i think you have to you have to do both i mean I, I i've never been one to to not share an opinion with a writer you know i mean <laughs> I if i hear a song uh, you know good bad or indifferent i'm gonna tell them i love that i hate that i think you need to put more time into this one i think this could be better musically i think it could be better sonically whatever you know i mean and and i do probably more of that i've always done more of that with the younger writers because i think they need to hear that i think they need to know when they're on to things that are tweaking their publisher's ears and if they're tweaking their publisher's ears the publishers are going to be like you travis and go out and convince somebody else to listen to it because you're excited about it absolutely i get right in there with them if I can and, and you know if it, it where it's warranted you know and 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 uh and just try to help them like make sure that they know what I'm getting good feedback on out there and 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 uh um and when they're really hitting the mark and uh what they should aim for mentioned that you started off pitching to producers in your day and I've really seen a transition from what producer meant when you think of a producer from the era and time that you used to play songs for people what would you define that as uh gosh there were there were a couple of different sort of scenarios you'd have those producers who were more musicians and uh, and they you know also had a kind of a mindset that they knew how to piece together an album or a group of songs that would give someone a distinctive style and then you had those other types of people that were you know kind of like looking to sprinkle fairy dust on top of something and make it happen and they were kind of 
you know, more, less direction, but more, I've got the magic, you know, I've got the magic song, I've got the magic formula for your stuff, for you, you as an artist or whatever. I call those cheerleaders. I think a lot yeah. of those are like the, the cheerleader yeah, producers I think that's that are what they really were. good in the room and yeah. controlling the environment. That's and, a good term. And I remember, like for me, like I think the guys you're like uh, Tony Brown and 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 those guys and like Stroud was a, a session drummer and those guys had a good use of like musicianship and what the records those guys have created were really cool. But now, Trav, what what do you think of when I say the word producer? Uh, guy sitting in a room with a computer and. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, it's definitely no, changed. I, I, I mean, there that that's you know undercutting it. There are definitely still people that go in and they'll, they'll cut records and and you know with and uh, curate the songs with the with the artists and everything. But um, it's uh, it, a a lot of it from from my end is, is dictated from the track guys in the rooms. You know, creating the sound and then going. All right, here you go. Take it from here. You know, like. Uh, having like so many artists in development and, 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 uh, coming in with, uh, track guys and the track guys almost developing the sound for them, you know, and then, and then I know that's frustrating for a lot of track guys to, to actually be the ones just developing the sound and then them going on to a bigger producer, you know? I mean, and you, you almost touched on it. I don't know if you did or not, but it's like, you know, when, when some a track guy does that initial track and somebody else takes his stems and and builds out on it, it's like that's the same thing as as in the old days where we had producer writers or producer art producer uh, musician producers that were developing the sound for somebody, but and sometimes they would hand it off to somebody else, but sometimes they wouldn't. You know, they were they were. This was their their deal. They get I, slated for the big project. Yeah, I would say I, I remember the calls we'd get that would make you that were similar to, "Hey, can I get the stems?" We get the call, "Hey, can I get the chart y'all did on that demo to see what y'all were playing on that?" That was the one because whoever did the chart was the one that created the sound. And so, or hey, who was the guitar player playing that lick? Yeah. I need to ask them something. And they would play the lick again. This is what we dealt with. It's the same. Again, the game's the same. It's just the rules have changed. Yeah. The players are a little bit different, but the we've been dealing with that same. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, whole, it's cool though. It's yeah. cool. I mean, yeah. the technology's made for things to sound fresh and different, and and it changed the the sonics of the business uh, a lot. But you know, it was time for it to change. It, there were there were things that had that just weren't going to be viable in the in the whole world the way they are now you know thanks for listening to the nashville aimp pubcast for more information check out aimp.org or follow us at nashville aimp on instagram the nashville aimp would like to give a shout out to our sponsors jamber and sound exchange Jamber wants to know if you're looking for an easier way to capture song splits at the point of creation and organizing your catalog. Jamber is our podcast sponsor, and they are offering listeners a first look at their songwriter and publisher apps that allow songwriters to collaborate when inspiration strikes. Go to jamber.com forward slash AIMP to sign up today. SoundExchange develops business solutions for the entire music industry. They collect and distribute royalties on behalf of more than 155,000 recording artists, master right owners, and music publishers. 
SoundExchange have paid out more than $5 billion in royalties. SXWorks serves the licensing administration needs of music publishers around the world and operates CMRRA, which represents music publishers and administers mechanical rights for the majority of songs recorded, sold, and broadcast in Canada. We appreciate you listening to the Nashville Pubcast. Stay tuned for an all-new episode next week.